Yeah, Evergreen, I am so excited to finally be here together uh, with you, which is how it feels to me. I realize I have a completely like irrational and illogical feeling of familiarity with you, like, hey guys, here we are, when we don't know each other, actually. <laughs> but like Tamil said, I know that um, you have had my video face here uh, a few times, so lo, you have suffered long. Um, but I'm so glad to finally be together uh, here with you in the room. Tamil and I share so much of our lives together, I'm sure that's why I feel uh, like I know you uh, so much more than I actually do. Um, but it's nice because I actually feel like I am in the midst of a sacred and cherished family here together this morning. So part of that is just the spirit in the air and the way that you are. Uh, but that's actually something that's always true of all of us, uh, isn't it? Wherever we are, whether or not uh, we happen to feel it, that, you know, because we all belong to the same loveness the same oneness and love of God, uh, because we're all knit together by the Spirit of Christ, that we're always actually um, in the embrace of family wherever we are. But I feel it here, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, one of my, the favorite, my favorite pieces from one of my favorite poets, who is Mark Nepo, says, my soul tells me that we were all broken from the same nameless heart. And every living thing wakes with a piece of that original heart aching its way into blossom. That's why we know each other below our strangeness. Why when we fall, we lift each other. When in pain, we hold each other. Why when sudden with joy, we dance together. Life is the many pieces of that great heart loving itself back together. And that's what we're all here to do together this morning, is to be part of the great heart loving itself back together, uh, in and as the, the tender palm of God uh, to one another. So um, I'm glad to be a part of that together with you. Now, in case it's making anybody nervous that I started with poetry instead of scripture, let's get right to the scripture as well. Uh, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 4 today starting at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now this is an interesting and kind of complicated passage of scripture for some of us. I mean, on the surface, it's one of the most uplifting sections of scripture there is, right? Full of all kinds of great words and seeming promises that everything can and will be okay. You know, it promises in the same passage, actually twice, that the peace of God and the God of peace will be with you always, no matter what. 
And the only thing that you have to do to access and experience that is to not be anxious, ever, for anything, <laughs> and only rejoice always. So it sounds pretty simple, right? Easy peasy, what could possibly be the problem? I want to kind of like tentatively raise my hand from the back of Paul's classroom and go, yes, absolutely, let's be that. But like, how? <laughs> because have you met life lately? There's a lot to be anxious about out there, isn't there? There's a plenty to fear. There's a lot to not rejoice over, especially in the world right now. If we're honest, a lot of the time, it doesn't feel like the Lord is near, does it? And I don't know about you, but it seems like my natural instincts all lean in exactly the wrong direction. <laughs> like, don't be anxious for anything ever. How about always be anxious for everything, always? Yay, a game I can win. <laughs> but this whole rejoicing always, staying gentle, living simple, thankful prayers of trust. Like, I'd love that to be a thing that I can just do, like a snap of my fingers, a choice I can make. But it doesn't seem to work like that. And I've always read this section of scripture, like if you do the stuff in the first paragraph, then the outflow will be the second paragraph, right? If you rejoice and pray, if you don't be anxious for anything, then you will be able to experience, you know, settle down into everything that's true and good and lovely. That seems to be the way that they're laid out on the page, doesn't it? Do this, then you'll get that. So just don't be anxious for anything. And then you can bask in all that good stuff. But I don't think it actually works like that. And the good news is I don't think Paul is saying that either. I think that Paul is painting the picture absolutely of what our lives could and should look like in that first section. You know, full of rejoicing and gratitude, peace and abundance. He is urging us to bring our anxieties to God. You're going to make I'm me so do sorry. it, aren't you? Okay, but then I'm going to want to rap because that's just what it... No, I'm not. <laughs> he is urging us to bring our anxieties to God through prayer, through communion, to meet Jesus in the midst of whatever else is swirling all around us. Yes. But I wonder if the second part of the passage is actually where the real gold is. And if what Paul is showing us there is not simply the outflow of the first half, but rather the key and the pathway of how to get to that first part. You know, where we see the footsteps hidden in the ground for how that can genuinely lead us into a new way of seeing and a new way of beings in the way that makes the first part real in an organic way in our lives. I think the first part is the hope, and the second part is the how. And so we're actually going to focus on the second part this morning. So let's take a look just at those verses again. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know how that passage strikes you in the midst of whatever anxiety-inviting storms you might be in the middle of. I know that I have got a few. And maybe like me, you hear those words, and they feel a bit out of touch. You know, and I, I think like, yeah, sure, but like, I've got real problems, man. You know, I've got things to solve. Now is not the time for skipping around in the daisies, thinking about whatever is lovely, whatever is pure. The world is in chaos and maybe worse. I need wisdom. I need direction. I need action. We need a plan for what to do in the middle of this storm, in the eye of it. And yet Paul is saying, these are exactly the things to do in the eye of every storm, in the midst of internal and relational, and yes, even global wars, to get your butt over there and maybe skip around in some daisies. And before we dismiss him too quickly, we have to remember that Paul is not writing this from the middle of comfortable circumstances. You know, he's not sitting on a hillside watching the sunset. The book of Philippians was written by a man in chains on the floor of a dusty prison cell, awaiting his own execution. Paul is speaking from the middle of the ultimate storm. And so I have to force myself to listen differently to that. The, the finally at the front of these sentences, I think, is important. And this isn't actually the end of the letter, so it's not that kind of finally, like when you're kind of signaling to your audience that you're about to bring your words to a close. It's not there for chronology. It's there for emphasis. It's a finally meeting that everything has been leading to this. It's a finally that he was saying to all of those sentences that came just before it. I think it's a finally that he's been saying to everything in the whole book of Philippians up to this point. I think it's actually the finally that Paul is saying to everything that he's been saying to them throughout his however many years of ministry among them. He's saying, this is the thing that I ultimately want to leave you with. Do this thing. And so what is the thing? that the Apostle Paul wants us to emphatically do, to fix our thoughts on goodness, on what is lovely and pure and noble and true, to immerse ourselves in that kind of worldview. And don't be mistaken, that is not a, a soft strategy. That's an incredibly powerful strategy and ultimately, the only one that works. See, the very best way to get rid of something that you don't want is not to just try to drop it or toss it or fling it off somehow. I mean, that's a start. But to truly dislodge something in a permanent way, we have to move something else into its place and let it take up residence there. You know, the very best way to, to push out the bad is not by trying to push out the bad, but by pulling in the good and letting that do its work. That is what Paul is showing us. So just trying to stop anxious thoughts is almost impossible. 
I mean, our brains aren't actually wired really to work like that. Have you ever noticed that? That the brain is constantly in motion. It's going to go somewhere. And so the key is to actually work with that momentum, but to actively turn the direction. The same way that our thoughts tend to race to negativity, Paul is urging us to turn that ship and to train our thoughts to race instead towards goodness. So how do we just genuinely not be anxious for anything? It's by not, prob not by problem solving around whatever it is that's making us anxious, trying to fix that, but it's rather by learning how to fix our eyes on the opposite, on goodness. And so step number one in that, I think, is if goodness is where you want to go, then practice looking for goodness. My son Avery got his beginner's driver's license earlier this spring, and so I took him out for his first driving lesson, and we all lived to tell the tale. <laughs> and I'll admit, I, it was surprising to me how many of the um, ways that, you know, the once conscious ways that I knew how to drive well were lost to me. They've been lost to subconscious, so I'm like actively trying to think of like, what are the things to tell him again for how to do this well? But the one that I did remember to tell him was to not focus on where the car is at right now, but focus on where you want the car to go. We know this, right? If you focus too intently just on the, that two feet right immediately in front of the car, you're going to steer really wonky and actually quite dangerous. So you have to fix your gaze further down the road. And the whole drive will go much smoother and you will actually get to where you want to go. And I think that's what Paul is saying in this passage as well. He's saying, train your eyes to look beyond just those two feet in front of you. And then you will actually get to the place you want to go. And when you train your eyes beyond those two feet, you will see the expansive, abundant goodness present all around you. And that will begin to displace the focus that we so naturally have on anxiety and fear, which is always, almost always, the two feet right in front of us. If we practice looking for goodness, then we will see more goodness. And then that's where we will go in our inner being. And then he says, in case you're wondering, what actual goodness looks like, here are a few markers. And then he goes into this list that we're all probably familiar with. He starts by saying whatever is true. And I love that this is where it starts, that this is the foundation. Now, this is not a cultivation of delusion. It's not telling ourselves pretty little lies to pretend things are better than they are. Paul isn't calling us to a denial of reality, but he's calling us to, and I never know whether to call this like an ascension into a higher reality or a dive deeper into a deeper reality, so whichever one of those works for you. <laughs> he's, he's calling us not to move away from what's true, but to move deeper into what is even truer. He's telling us not to look away from our grief, our pain, or our suffering even, but to, while holding them in honest and close view, to also look 
beyond. To not stop here, but to see the even truer thing than what is maybe most obvious or apparent or visible in the moment. And we're not talking about um, accurate information, true. Although that's a decent place to start, we could say that. But he's talking about true north type true. You know, things that are real in the most meaningful of ways. Things you can trust in, things that are solid. A trueness of spirit. Whatever is true. Next he says, whatever is noble. Or some translations say honorable. Does that feel like a little bit of an increasingly scarce commodity in a lot of the content that we take in in a day these days? And when is the last time that you saw something out there and your brain thought, wow, that's really noble? It doesn't feel like one I come across a lot. It's something evoking respect, dignity, reverence. Noble things, gracious things, higher things. And then he says, whatever is right, whatever is just. <laughs> and this isn't like right, like right and wrong, black and white. This isn't measuring uh, perfect doctrine or moralistic living even. He's talking about the stuff that's just right in your soul. Stuff that's all goodness with no shadow. He's talking about what's pure. In fact, that's the next word on the list. Pure, like, like clean water running down a mountainside. Pure things like holy, things of integrity, things of innocence. Now, culturally, societally, we are so eager to know the cynical underbelly of things, aren't we? We want to understand the dark side of something, <laughs> to feed that knowledge. Somehow it makes us feel like we might be a little safer if we could understand what that really is. But it's not actually a good thing for our souls to look at that, to hold on to that, to obsess about that. When's the last time you intentionally went looking for or tried to cultivate a spirit of innocence? I feel like my soul is thirsty for that. Then he says, whatever is lovely. I don't know what comes to your mind, but it, it, I thought originally of like, oh, lovely fr pink frilly tablecloths, which I don't actually like. But when I think of the word lovely, I feel like this is how it's used. He's not talking about lovely like that. He's talking about lovely meaning that which, which calls forth love, that which is love-inspiring. Whatever is admirable, whatever's worth looking up to, with affectionate awe. How many things in your life do you look at and hold with affectionate awe? How much time do you spend with that? What inspires you to that? Go out and look for that kind of stuff, Paul says, intentionally. And I love the language on the final two. He says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. I feel like there's an allowance there, you know, there's a grace to accept that maybe most of what you're looking at right now feels like dumpster fire. <laughs> but is there anything out there? Like, is there anything at all that you can find that is excellent, that is worth applauding? 
Anything you can find some higher good in, some higher beauty. It doesn't need to be whatever you think is spiritual because it's all spiritual and God can be found inside of it all. Is anything excellent or praiseworthy? He says, find that, fix your gaze on that. I love the mercy implied in there. I feel like it acknowledges, hey, it's not always easy to spot. It's not the stuff that just jumps in your face. So let's go ahead and cast the net wide. Let's find and name all of the possible goodness that we can. And then once you've spotted it, number one, like step number two is to think about the goodness. Like really, actually, intentionally think about it. The translation that we read said, think about such things, but other translations use wording like, fill your mind with, fix your thoughts on, focus your thoughts, meditate on. My favorite, let your mind continually dwell on these things. It's so ongoing. There's an actual call to obsessiveness, like built in here, which is kind of good news because we're really, really good at obsessive thinking. <laughs> We just tend to do it all in the direction of the negative things. We fixate on problems and pain like nobody's business. We are skilled masters, every one of us. Paul is saying, hey, why don't you take that nice, strong, obsessive thinking muscle you got going on over there and try bending it in the direction of goodness instead. And just see if it won't do its same work there of making you a skilled master at finding what you are looking for. What if the goodness really is there and we're just not seeing it because we're not actually looking for it? Intentionally thinking about it obsessively helps to train that muscle in us, helps to make it more natural over time. It also helps to think with curiosity so when you spot something out there resonating with goodness in the world, rather than just nod and keep going with your day thinking, oh yeah, I got that, like stop. Stop your day, stop whatever you're doing and observe it, dig deeper into it, whatever it is. Watch it, wonder at it. Be open-hearted and attentive to it and let yourself drink that moment all the way in. Bask in it and then let goodness do its work upon your soul. Pause to immerse yourself in it. It will change your way of seeing, and that will change our way of being. And do you wanna know why? Because this isn't pop psychology, no matter how that may sound to you. And this isn't just some random list of like high moral attributes or lofty philosophical qualities that Paul is listing. The list is Jesus. These are the sketch strokes of the silhouette of Christ. Jesus is the true. Jesus is all that's noble. He is what is right and pure. Jesus is loveliness, and loveliness is Jesus. Paul is coaxing us to draw near to the very person of God. Right? The invitation to us in scripture again and again and again 
Or Jesus' wide open arms saying, come close. Remember the first half? Right? The Lord is near. It's Jesus saying, come close and look me in the eyes. Let me look into yours. And then watch how inside of that, that sacred space, that, that holy connection, how everything actually can change, both within you and all around you. And if it's hard and weird and abstract to think you're supposed to be walking around looking for God, because it is, but we use these weird phrases. Like, what does that even mean? Are we supposed to go look for a guy in a robe walking along the water at the beach? <laughs> How do we look for Jesus today? That's what Paul is showing. He's saying, look around for goodness, for the sparks of light wherever you find them. All around you and also within you, within one another. Right, like right in here, inside of us, is what is true and noble and lovely, admirable, worth uh, rejoicing over and excellent. Right in your mirror, right in the eyes of the person across from you. Look for that goodness and you will be looking into the eyes of Jesus. The face of God is everywhere. We just have to retrain our eyes to see it more clearly, more naturally. And then as we do that, as we gather up all those glimpses in our arms, into our hearts, with the new sight that they are catching, Paul says, now make it real on the ground of your life. Right? Verse 9, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So what we don't walk will never actually work. So these have to become more than just concepts in our heads. It has to be worked out in our bones on the everyday ground of our everyday life. The cultivation of both seeing and then becoming an embodiment of the goodness of Jesus that is all around us. So how do we make it more real every single day, no matter the season, no matter the storm? I don't know for you, you'll have to find your ways. For me, it means Things like making dorky little lists of everything that is good. It means writing out what I know is true, what I know is right, when everything inside my scared little heart wants to disbelieve and see the other. So I have to remind myself. So I literally write it out, often very much in the spirit of like, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief because it's just so much easier to see what is not good. So maybe try making some lists. Keep a note open on your phone throughout the day, and every time you come across a little spark, just jot it down. And then go home at the end of the day, pull the list back out, and obsess on it a little bit. Roll it over in your heart and mind a little bit more and see if there's more that God wants to show you inside of that. Speak the things out loud. Speak them to yourself. Speak them to others. Now, maybe it means working to actually surround yourself more with people who actually exude this, who, people who do this well, better than you do. Those who both like, show you their own deep goodness and also help draw the goodness out of you. How many friends do you have like that? Find those bright-eyed friends, spend time with them, bribe them with food and drink if you need to. <laughs> 
Let them help show you where the footsteps are to make that a more natural way of being. Maybe you're an artist who needs to make some art inspired by the glimpses that you catch. So paint, draw, make music, be obsessive about it. Maybe you want to take the list from that passage and like pick a different one each day and just be like, I'm going to look for this one today and see where you can find it. When's the last time you came across something really pure in the world? How many times do we see that in a day? Would we see it more if we were looking for it? We have to go goodness hunting. That is how we retrain our eyes. One of the very best ways to do this, and I will say this in every season with the full awareness that winter is coming, which is to spend time out in nature, right? In creation. Because I feel like it is all right there if we just stop to notice it. Surrounding and immersing and shouting from the ground and the water and the sky that there is indeed a great big God of goodness holding every fabric of this world in the palm of an outstretched hand. And that is actually the way that Paul brings this passage to a conclusion. Whatever you've uh, learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now note he doesn't say that peaceful circumstances will be with you. Unfortunately, that is not the promise. But that you can be carried through, held steadily in the tender, strong hand of the God of peace? Absolutely. That your eyes and heart and mind and body can be increasingly attuned to the goodness, even in the midst of unbelievable storms? Like, yes, it's real. Tamil alluded a little bit, I am in the midst of an interesting season of life. I mostly refer to it as, so I set my life on fire. <laughs> I resigned from a pastoral vacation of a vocation. <laughs> Not a vacation. <laughs> After almost 20 years, and with a plan and a calling and a picture of what I thought would be the rest of my life, which is mostly another gospel for another day. But I'll tell you that this was not the plan, and it is painful, and there's a lot of collateral damage in all kinds of directions. But I will tell you what I am learning in the midst of all those flames still making their way to the ground, and that is that the goodness of God is even deeper and wider and more expansive and more steady and strong to hold than I have ever imagined. And I thought I had already imagined it pretty uh, steady and strong. But even in the midst of so many painful and unwanted collapses of things I thought I could count on, I'm finding that the center still holds. And not in the imagery, again, of like, Picture me in a field on a mountain with the wind in my hair, like steady, strong. Yes, the center still holds. No, it's much more like when you're at Canada's Wonderland and you're in one of those rides that is like whipping all around, upside down, backwards, forwards, but you're in that like metal cage that's supposedly keeping you tethered. It's a lot more like that. In the midst of all kinds of chaotic turbulence, internal, external, 
and so much unwanted heartbreak. The container around me holds, and not only holds strong and secure, but like fills with indescribable light, show-stopping, breathtaking, breath-giving light and goodness like I have never experienced before. So the center still holds, and the center of this gospel that we have immersed our lives and our hearts and our souls into the center of this gospel is pure goodness and goodness alone. So don't hear me saying that, that I've got this one now. Personally, I'm actually a long way from skilled in this area. I have to work very hard. But I see more today than I saw yesterday. And I know that I will see more tomorrow than I can spot right now. And I believe to the bottom of my toes that, that this is the only way that resurrection happens, right? That continuous journey from death to life that we are all on. It's one glimpse, one breath, one stumble, one step at a time. This way of seeing and this way of being, it roots our hearts ever more deeply into the heart of Christ and returns us home to our true nature, to the, back to the original goodness that we were created in. It reharmonizes us with the Spirit of God in whom we live and move and have our being. And so my prayer for all of us is that more and more every single day that we would find the abundant goodness that I know is surrounding us on every side, filling us from the inside out when we see it and when we don't. That's pouring itself into every nook and cranny of our messy, beautiful, complicated lives. And so Jesus, I pray that you would in your mercy and in your love, continue to open our eyes deeper and deeper, wider and wider, to the truth of who you are, to the truth of how you hold, and to the truth of the goodness that is um, both filling us from the inside out and surrounding us on every side, holding us steady, in the cyclone, and in the seasons when we can see and touch it more, more clearly, God. You're there in all of them. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.